it's adjusting. I think that's what great teams do. They adjust to, to what's going on. Yeah. And uh, that's been a model that worked for us. Will it always work for us? I don't know. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it, guys. I'm excited. Got a good one for you. Really good one. Got a, a guest on today that I think is going to uh, absolutely uh, excite you. And uh, I know that what he talked about today was very near and dear to my heart, the way that I think, the way that I am preparing my business over the next year or two to be successful. And uh, this is someone who's not just doing a deal or two here and there, not someone who's doing 10 deals a month. This guy's doing hundreds of deals a year, like two to 300 deals a year. He's a very, very, very good businessman, uh, but maybe more importantly, a good guy, good person with good values and good goals. And, you know, just someone who has his heart in the right place. And he's he's just trying to, you know, have a purpose behind his business and a purpose behind why he does things. So had a great conversation. Like I said, he has a scaled up, very successful business. Uh, but we were able to talk a little bit new stuff, like how did he start? What did that look like? Uh, how did he break into this business to, to get to the point where he's building it up? Talk about building up his team and just a lot, a lot of great stuff. This is gold, guys. Just like serious, serious gold. So get ready, tune in, grab a notebook and a pen or a pencil and get ready to write some notes because there was a lot of gold bombs dropped here. Uh, my guest today is Brett Snodgrass. Brett has been a full-time real estate investor for 13 years. He specializes in wholetailing wholesaling and creative finance. And we get into that a little bit, how he does his creative finance. Very, very cool. And uh, he's also an expert at scaling his business. He went from a one-man band to a full team that's doing hundreds of deals a year. Uh, his name of his company is Simple Wholesaling. And he kind of talks a little bit about why he named it Simple Wholesaling, which is kind of funny, kind of cool. Uh, he also has a podcast uh, called the Brett Snodgrass Podcast and a YouTube channel with the same name, Brett Snodgrass in, on the YouTube channel. So go check that out, guys. He does some great interviews with highly successful people, but they don't just talk about business and money and success. They really get into the heart. They get into some deeper stuff, so a little bit more um, like just human side of it all. So go check that out. I just had a blast interviewing him. I already know I want to interview him again next year because there's a ton of stuff we didn't touch on that I really want to get into uh, as it regards to what he's got going on in his business in terms of scaling it up and maybe taking a step back and being more of an owner from a distance and not running the day-to-day. -day. Uh, but for now, we focused on the beginning of his like his business and then how that kind of got scaled up, what, they, what they're doing today in terms of how they're running their business and where the deals are, um, what they look like, how they're monetizing them, which was awesome. But there's so much more I could talk to Brett about. Just a fascinating guy. So we'll get him back on. Don't worry. But for now, enjoy this one. I think it was very powerful and I think you're going to love it. So I give you guys Brett Snodgrass. Hey, Brett, good to have you on the show. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for being here. No problem, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So I was on your show a little while back, had a great time, really had a good time getting to know you a little better, getting to meet you. Uh, that's why I was really excited to have you on, on my show now. Uh, and I know that uh, we talked a little bit before we hopped on the air here and I've done my, my research on you. Uh, you're into some stuff that I know my, my listeners are going to be really, really interested in. And it's what's interesting is, and we'll get into this a little bit, is how you've kind of evolved over the last five years, which I, I'm really excited to talk about that too. Uh, but let's give people a little bit 
bit more context and, and get that, uh, that feeling of, I know I can identify with this guy. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing prior to real estate and how you got into it and why you got into it. And what was the, what was it that made you go in that direction in life when you probably could have been anything? Why, why real estate investor? Yeah. No, thanks for asking, Mike. Uh, so basically, I grew up in Indiana. I'm from Indianapolis. I, I live close to Indianapolis, Indiana now, but I always live in Indiana. My dad was a high school basketball coach. Uh, he was a shop teacher, which is wood shop, right? Okay. Um, and my mom was a preschool teacher. So I didn't come from money. My parents basically made between forty to $60,000 uh, in their life uh, per year. So um, I didn't I didn't come from you know wealth or anything like that, but I always had this entrepreneurial background where I just always kind of like uh, I, I enjoyed entrepreneurship. I remember literally getting my piggy bank out and counting counting my money. Uh, I remember going to Sam's Club when I was in middle school, buying like big packs of gum and going and selling it at lunch for a quarter, and I'd make like a dollar a pack. Yeah. I was always just doing these crazy things like that, and entrepreneurship was just always really really inter- interesting to me. Uh, so let's just fast. I went to college. My dad was a high school basketball coach, like I said. So I played basketball pretty much my entire life. I played in college, got a full ride scholarship to a small school in Indiana called Huntington. And I graduated and I didn't really know what I want to do with my life. My parents were both teachers. So I had an elementary education degree. I said, well, you know, I'll just try that out. But uh, I, I taught for four months and I realized, you know what, this is not for me. And uh, so I got out of that. And one thing that really, really hit me was, it was my dad was a teacher for 30 years. And he told me one day, Brett, I don't remember ever having more than $5,000 in my bank account at one time yeah. ever. Yeah, That really, really hit me. And I said, you know what? I think that I can, I can do better than that. And uh, so I got out of teaching. Uh, I was still substitute teaching. And that's when I started reading some books. You know, you guys are familiar with them, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Millionaire Next Door, some of these different books. And I started to really get interested in real estate. And I said, you know what? A lot of these wealthy guys made money from real estate. So that's where I got to be. The margins are really, really big. So my very first deal, I was online uh, one night and I found this house. It was in Youngstown, Ohio. And this was in 2007. And it was only $9,000. And I said, no way. There's no absolute way you can buy a house for $9,000. This is inner city, Youngstown, Ohio. And I said, let's let's do it. So I got this house under contract. And there wasn't a lot of education out there. I just kind of dove in. Yeah. And I got this house under contract. And I didn't have any money to, to fix it up or anything like that. So I said, well, let's just let's just market it. Let's put it out there on some of these websites and see what happens. And a buyer came along and he bought it for $15,000. And I made $6,000 on that one deal. And that's when a light bulb went off. And I said, if I could do this with one, could I do it with a hundred or a thousand? And that was 13 years ago, uh, you know, this year. And I think we've done, I don't know, I I lost count, but I think we've done close to 3000 deals now. Wow. So how did you find that deal, that $9,000 deal? Crazy. Uh, it was actually on eBay. And I, I used to, this was when eBay was really, really cool. And I used to buy and sell things on eBay, yeah. right? I used to buy and sell DVDs, uh, stereo equipment, uh, clothes, whatever. And I remember they had this real estate section on eBay. Yeah. Yeah, and I was I reading remember. these books. 
And I found this and there was like, there wasn't a lot of houses on there. It wasn't like, uh, you know, um, Zillow or anything like that. There was a few houses in some different cities and it was on, on eBay. And yeah. I actually wasn't even the highest bidder. The highest bidder on that house was 13,000 and I had bid nine and they didn't come through. So they gave me a second place backup for, for $9,000. And I was wow. like, sign me up. That's <laughs> amazing. So crazy. Now, does, does eBay still have that? Do you know? I, don't I actually, I actually don't know. I haven't I been on, mean. I bought my first thing on eBay literally la a couple of weeks ago um, for my kids. It was uh, some, some toy that I couldn't find. It was sold out, I think on Amazon, things like that. Yeah. So uh, that was the first time I've been on like years. Yeah, so I have no too. idea. I know that I'll was a thing, but it, it seems insane. Like, I think you're the first person I've ever met who's actually done like a real estate deal on eBay. But I know yeah. they did that. I remember that back in, back in the day too. It's just crazy. Uh, yeah, it's yep. nuts. Um, so then <laughs> we're, just out of curiosity, it's sort of like, I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole with your first deal. But how did you sell that first deal? Where did you sell it? Or what, like, did you go on the MLS or how'd you do that? I actually, I believe I sold it on eBay. Oh, okay. So wow, <laughs> so, you yeah. bought it and sold it on eBay. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was kind of funny uh, because I was a second place bidder on eBay for $9,000. And I said, you know what? The high bidder was $13,000. So, uh, so maybe it'll go for $13,000 again. So literally, I just relisted it. I, I went out to the property. And here was the thing. It was, it was a lot of trash in the property and a lot of things like that. So I, I drove out to Youngstown, Ohio, which is about six hours, one way by myself. And I meet and I go to this house and there's all this trash. So I'm loading up all the mattresses and all this trash to, to make it look better. And uh, yeah. I put, I threw all the trash away and then I took better pictures than it was already. Yeah. And, and I resold huge. it. I mean, that's, funny that's a because, huge lesson there, man. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. want to cut you off, but go ahead. No, I, and it's funny because that that's exactly what we kind of do today. Yeah. Honestly, we, we look <laughs> for uh, houses that don't look very well. I mean, there's so many, they take bad pictures. There's trash in the house. There's something that we can make it look, look a little bit better. So really today we do 300 deals a year, the exact kind of same way that I've done our very first deal. Yeah, that's amazing. And there, there's definitely a lesson there, right? Like all you did was clean up a little trash and take better pictures. Like yeah. And you and you doubled your money basically. Yeah. And you marketed it a little bit better. And I think I marketed on a couple other websites too. I'm not sure exactly what was back then. I know I used to market on Craigslist a lot. Uh, I can't remember if if I did on uh, at that time, but I think I did remember selling it on eBay. Yeah, that's amazing. That's really really cool. Just real quick, heading back because I, I did read your your uh, some stuff about you, some things that you have posted. You're I know you're a, a huge huge who's your fan. Uh, your dad was a basketball coach. Was he was he cut from the Bobby Knight cloth or a little little more chill than <laughs> than that? Uh, yeah, I mean we were. So if you ever seen the movie Hoosiers, uh, that was basically our family. Uh, you got Norman Dale, the Hoosiers coach, and I was like the basketball player, Jimmy Chitwood. He's in the movie Hoosiers, and and we were just all about basketball. So yeah. Friday nights, you know, we were going to the basketball games, and my dad, he was he was a tough cookie. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I don't know if he was extreme as Bobby Knight, but I, I do remember, you know, coming home from games that I did not play well and it wasn't a good, uh, ride home. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. But it's so funny too. Like if you meet my dad now, he's like the most mellow person. He actually, and I give my dad so much credit. So he was a high school basketball coach for 25 years and I graduated high school in 1999 and he retired. Literally he hung wow. up the whistle as a coach so that he could come watch me play in college. That's awesome. So went from a coach to a parent. So I give my dad many props because that was his identity. He was only 49 years old and wow. retired. Wow. That's awesome, man. 
Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's kind of good to frame that a little bit just to, to know. It's interesting. People <laughs> who have dads that are coaches or just strict or, or regimented or whatever, like have that sense of discipline and, and hold you accountable and that kind of thing. Usually, I, always, I, use, I use a lot of sports terms too because sports really, really help me. And my dad said this one term that I'll never forget. And I use this in business today. And hopefully your listeners will get a lot out of this is uh, he used to wake up and he used to say, Brett, you're either, you're either going to get better at basketball today or get worse. He won't say the same. So what are you going to do? Are you going to get better? Yeah. Or are you going to get worse? Yep. I love and, it. And uh, it's your choice. Yep. So that's true in business. I do think you're, you're growing your, or you're shrinking like one of the two for sure. I love yeah. that, man. So, okay. You did your first deal. It was pretty good. You cleaned it up, made some money on it. That was awesome. Put, put, you know, more money in the bank that day than your dad ever had in the bank in his whole life at one time, right? To kind of yeah. go back to that. So what did you do next? What was next for you? You knew that you liked this feeling of what you did. It made sense to you. Like, can I do this just like hundreds more times? And that clearly you did that. What was, what mm -hmm. was the next move? How'd you kind of transition into doing that full time? Yeah. Well, I definitely tried to do the same thing. So I think I bought a couple more houses on eBay, did, did the same thing. Some worked out, some didn't. Um, you know, we made, you know, a couple thousand dollars here and there. And this is also back in 2007, then 2008, everybody's running from the hills. They think real estate is the worst thing and you're going to lose your shirt. And if I told anybody I was getting into real estate in 2008, they're like, what are you? are just crazy. It's the worst market in the history. Yep. And, and I didn't know any better, right? I was just like, I don't know what to do. All I know is there's a lot of cheap houses out there that I can buy or that I can get on a contract. And there's still investors buying them for a little bit more than what I'm getting them for. Yeah. Um, so 2008 was a huge year for me. And, and I developed a system, right? And I stopped buying off of eBay as much. And I actually went to the MLS. So there's a lot of bank-owned properties, yep. HUD-owned properties. Uh, so my dad start, joined me in my business. So here's my dad. He was a teacher. He retired from teaching at 55 to join our real estate business yeah. that I didn't know what I was doing. And so we would basically go out and we'd look at 20 REO properties in a day. We wouldn't even get inside them. We weren't agents. We were any, we would just look at the windows, look around the house. And these are really cheap properties. They were, you know, 10,000, 15, 20, $30,000 properties yeah. here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And we would just bid on the MLS. And, uh, and I would pretty much, you know, not lowball all of them, but they'd be asking, 30,000 and I'd offer him six, you know? Um, and we put in about two to 300 offers a month and we get about 10 properties a, a month. And that's how we started building our business. So literally in 2008, we did 150 deals when everybody else was running for the hills. We did 150 and it was all bank owned MLS deals. Um, and that's when money started to flow in like I've never, never seen. So I was, I was this teacher and I was subbing at that, at that time too. So I'm making... 15,000 a year, like yeah. substitute school teacher. Uh, so I went from making 15,000 to 80 to 250, like in, in, a, in a couple of years, uh, you know, and it was just crazy. I'd never seen any, any type of money like that before. Yeah. And it just, and, 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 you know, it was a good thing. And it was a bad thing because I've never seen that money before. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyways. <laughs> so is your dad still part of your business? Uh, he was a good part of my business for the first six or seven years. And, uh, he, you know, started about 61, 62 at that time. And then he, you know, wanted to play a lot of golf, retired. I wanted to scale our business. So 
So there was kind of a breaking point, not a bad breaking point, yeah. but organically, I wanted to, to grow a team, hire people, do all that. I've never done any of that. So for the first six or seven years, I was a one-man show, me and mm-hmm. dad, we were it, never hired anybody. Uh, I was doing everything, cleaning out the house myself, uh, you know, finding all the deals, putting in all the offers, selling all the deals. Yep. And dad was kind of looking at him too. So, uh, so the first six or seven years, yes. Uh, but the last five or uh, six years, he's stepped away. Gotcha. So in the, in the early days, you, you realized this model worked. You start, by the way, the fact that you like in your second year or some point in the, in the first 12 to 15 months, you actually are putting together systems and processes is pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, and I say that as someone who did this for about five years with almost no system and process. Like I, I sort of bumbled <laughs> around and had no real process and, and it impeded my growth quite a bit in the early years. Um, but that's really impressive that you did that. And now I'm wondering, I think I know the answer, but I want for for people listening who don't know you, haven't talked to you before, what kind of deals were you doing? You started ramping up your deal flow and you, you started increasing your revenue. Were you doing flips, wholesale, wholetail, buy and hold? Like what was your your mode? Yeah. So in the early days, we we... Whole, and I didn't know what wholesaling was, getting stuff on our contract. So in the early days, we were mostly just doing wholetail, I would call it. And these were super cheap properties. I mean, my philosophy was uh, find the cheapest properties on the market and someone's going to buy any type of property. doesn't matter what the property is, the location, doesn't matter if it's cheap enough, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. That was always my philosophy. So literally... Uh, we started building up our money. And so some of these properties, back, and this is back in 2008 in Indianapolis, and we were also buying Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, and those were our markets. And uh, so I was buying $5,000 properties, $7,000 properties, $10,000 properties, and selling them for, you know, making two, three, five thousand dollars $5,000 on a property. And I was elated by that. So uh, Well, the margins so are good. I mean, the numbers are yeah. low. Like to say I yeah. made $2,000, people might go, eh. But you paid yeah. five thousand. Like that's a good margin, actually. It is, yeah. And at that time, I mean, you're also talking to someone who, again, my dad at his height of his career made sixty thousand a year. Uh, I was making fifteen thousand a year. Yeah. So, so to make that, it was it was crazy. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, when you okay, so a couple. I have a lot of questions. So when you were buying in these other cities, other than where you lived, and you were new, it, it's because I. I'm in the Detroit area. I don't live in Detroit. I don't invest in the city of Detroit, but I'm in the Detroit area. You can still today buy a house for $500,000, $2,000, but you wouldn't want to because you're not going to sell it. Like no one's going to buy it. It's a war zone. It's it's horrible. How did you how did you know that this $5,000 house in Cincinnati or Dayton or wherever you were, how did you know that you could sell it for, you know, 10,000 or 8,000? Like how did you know you weren't buying this total crack house for lack of a better term. Like, how did you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's a great question. And I'm going to tell you, like we did buy, we did buy some crack houses, honestly. Uh, and, and then, and they didn't all work out. Uh, but uh, you know, my thing was, um, we just started buying in a lot of the same areas and, and just hit, you know, I, I don't know if we got lucky at first or just blessed, but, uh, we just started to learn that you could. So, you know, if you, and that's exactly what we do today. If you buy a house in this area for 5,000 and sell it for eight, you buy one down the street. Yeah. You can probably do the same thing. Gotcha. And we just started to learn uh, the systems behind it. And we were checking comps and we were checking all that stuff too. And I started to learn how to do that and checking the MLS. Plus I had a couple of agents that, you know, kind of helped protect me too. So I started okay. to build relationships as well. So yeah. going back to what you said, Mike, is number one, we started building 
kind of a system. It wasn't a great system. It was basically, hey, let's let's have a spreadsheet and let's put in 200 offers a month and try to get 10 accepted. Yep. Uh, let's build a relationship with a couple of real estate agents because I wasn't an agent to put in these offers because we had to have someone do it. Yeah. And uh, and then and then build that relationship as well. So couple relationships, title companies too, and. So relationships and a couple systems, and that's what we did. Did you have a hard time convincing realtors for out of state or out of town people? You know those realtors. Did you have a hard time convincing them to put in two hundred offers, knowing they're all going to be like lowball? Basically, they're you know a lot lower. They're not like close to asking. So did you struggle yeah. with that or? We did. Um, you know, we went through a couple offers or a couple of agents in in a couple of different Cincinnati and stuff like that. So we really only had two agents. I had one agent in Indiana who did all of our offers here, and I had one agent in Ohio who did Dayton and Cincinnati and all those places too. Uh so yeah, we went through a couple. But honestly, my Indiana agent, I think that she made uh seventy thousand dollars from us. Okay. In two thousand and eight. So wow. like so she was getting you know, she's, she's getting a hundred to 150 deals and her, and they had minimums at that time too. So, you know, um, I don't, I don't know exactly how many she did, but I think she did like maybe 70, 80 deals just with us in Indiana. And, uh, you know, a lot of them were 750 minimums, a thousand dollar minimums. So yeah. she's making a lot of money. And that's, an, and that's another reason why I actually got my license. So I am a broker now. I've had it for 10 or, uh, you know, uh, 10 years, but I looked at her, her check and I was like, Oh my gosh, you made 70 grand off us. I'm going to just gonna get my license and make that. So yeah, yeah, I got awesome. it. <laughs> totally cool. Now, do you think, is that a viable strategy today? Could someone replicate what you did realistically? Or, or is that something that was like that worked in 2008, 2009? It's not really real, realistic today. Yeah, I don't think it's realistic actually okay. today. Yeah, I don't think you can actually go on the MLS HUD. You know, you remember the HUD Home yep. Store? They had some sort of formula yep. that you would go on there and you know put in all your offers. And we had that system down, so we buy a lot of HUD homes now. Yeah. That's that's it's. I, different. I did the same thing, and it was it, what I loved about it is it was so black and white. Like you yeah. just put in your <laughs> offer, and I think like at least in Michigan, like we knew within twenty four hours if we got it. And it was like yeah, it was real clean. Like you just easily yeah. could put in offers. Yeah. And I know there's a system to it. And sometimes you'd yeah. be asking 80 grand and you get it for like 18 and you're like, oh my gosh. And they're like, they just made a mistake. And you're just thinking if they made an error somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It is totally different. And, and I kind of, I'm a little bit jumping around and there were some things I want to talk about toward the end, but I want to mention it now because I think it's probably relevant considering we're talking about 2008, 2009. Do you think, well, let me, I don't, I don't like putting words in people's mouth. What do you think is happening or going to happen in the market over the next 12 to 15 months? And I know we don't have crystal balls. I get that. I'm not, nobody's going to yeah. hold you to this, but what are you preparing for? How are you preparing and what are you thinking as you look ahead to 2021 that, that the market's going to do and make available for us as investors? Yeah. Well, I think you look back at real estate. I mean, it's a it's a roller coaster. It's a cycle, right? You you have foreclosures that are really high. You got uh, you know one time, then you know even the marketing strategies that we're doing. You got a buyer's market sometimes where um, you know uh, you know they can just buy. You got the seller's market where they're just flying off the shelf. Um, I don't know. So it's uh, so like you said, I don't have a crystal ball. One thing I've listened to a lot of economists. I've listened, you know, I'm in a couple of mastermind groups too, and so one economist, a real estate economist, said that uh, it would be a, so much better to sell your house today than it would be one year from now. Uh, so that's what he said. Uh, we did a section in our mastermind called "How Are You Going to Dominate the Foreclosure Market Fourth Quarter 2021." 
so these are some of the things that I've been hearing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got the forbearance things. I mean, I have a mortgage on my personal house and like, if I didn't want to pay it, like they didn't ask me any question. I didn't, I didn't have to pay it if I want to. Yeah. So you, you so you get a lot of things like that, but you're going to have to pay those eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, you got all these eviction things going on. Um, I don't know the, the, you know, these laws that are, we can't evict people very well right now. You got COVID hitting, you got the election. Who knows what, you know, I, when this comes out, obviously I think we'll know, but, um, so I think there's going to be a cycle. Mm. So I think what you're getting at is, is this a viable strategy in right now? I do not. Will this be a viable strategy in a year or two? I do think so. Yeah, that's it's kind of where I was going to end up. Exactly. Yeah, because I, yeah. I think, you know, I've talked to a lot of people. I interview a lot of people on my podcast. I know you do too, um, and I've interviewed a lot of people who really know they know the they know the market. They've been in this for a long time. I, people who I, I I believe are very intelligent and know what they're talking about. Although no one can predict with one hundred percent certainty, and I've yet to talk to someone who doesn't think that we're in for some sort of a correction, a downturn, you know, drop in pricing or whatever. How bad is it going to be? How close will it be to two thousand and eight? It's debatable. No one really agrees on that, and the reasons are different too. So it's hard to really judge. But I, ultimately, I do think some of those things that worked in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. I think will work again to some level. I don't know how, to what level, but I think to some level. So um, I do remember back then it was like finding deals back then was not a concern. I don't know of anybody who was like, I can't find a deal. Like it was like raising money was a concern because banks clamped down. And like when I got into real into real estate, which is about the exact same time you did, maybe I was about nine months to a year after you. Um, so when you got in, I'm sure like, like uh, banks giving big lines of credit and things was still a, was not a thing. Okay. Yeah. So it was going away when I got in. Cause I knew people when I started in this business, I was in a mastermind and like the guy who ran the mastermind was like, go to any bank. You can get a $50,000 line of credit if you have a heartbeat. And I was like, cool. And like a month or two later, I was like, I'm going to do that. And the banks were like, yeah, we stopped doing that. (laughs) Okay. So it was a little different, but you know, raising money was huge. That was my biggest concern. And if I could go back to then, or if I can look forward to maybe that happening similarly again, absolutely like dominating the foreclosure market and taking advantage, not hopefully in a negative way. You understand what I'm saying? Just like understanding where you are in the market cycle and, and using that, you know, to, to be a good business yeah. person, basically. Yeah. And I think that just preparing. So what what am I doing right now? Um, you know, we're still doing, obviously, we can get into this. You know, we're doing a lot of direct-to-seller marketing and uh, that. But knowing what I know and thinking that the market could go back to what it was, where there are foreclosures, where you can buy off the MLS cheap properties, where you can really get good deals, um, you know, just by looking online. I'm preparing, you know, I have my brokerage. Uh, we have, you know, a software that we can put in offers quickly. Uh, we talked about eBay before, which is an auction website. Well, I think that a lot of REO uh, companies use auction websites. There's auction.com and yeah. Hudson and Marshall was one. The HUD Home Store, I think, puts them on the HUD, you know, I think auction.com now. But I think that could be a good philosophy, kind of the exact same way I used to do with eBay. Yep. So these are some of the things that, Again, preparing on how you can systematize that, right? Which is different than what we're doing now. 
Yeah, I love it. I, honestly, I could slow walk through your your progression over the last 13 years, but it would take us three hours to do it. So yeah. I do want to jump ahead a little bit because I'm fascinated. I love it. I, yeah, we have a we have some a lot of crossover and things that we've done in the way that we run our businesses. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about what your business looks like nowadays. Like, what is the the maybe the percentage? Like, how many wholesale percentage and and wholesale? And I know you're doing some creative financing, which I think is mm-hmm. huge, and I think will continue to be huge with everything we just talked about. I think it's a hundred percent a play that people should be utilizing, especially if you don't have tons and tons and tons of cash, right? Like using creative yeah. financing, you know, you can change your life significantly just by that one strategy. So let's talk about what you're doing now in business and where you're focusing. And I know we're going to, I want to talk a little bit because you've sort of built this team and you're not like in the day to day, which I think is awesome. Uh, And I want to get to that. But first, let's talk about where your business is today. What are you guys focusing on now? Yeah, definitely. So uh, let me just start off. So back in 2014, I wasn't only like wholesaling and wholesaling. I did start rehabbing for about three years okay. and realized that was a job and I wasn't making that much money. I was making a living, but I was not getting ahead. I was just paying the bills. Yeah. And dad was at, in my business at that time. He was a woodshop teacher. So he knew how to do a lot of uh, woodworking, things like that. So anyways, I was at a point, I was flipping about six houses at one time, managing contractors. Contractor just ripped me off. Uh, I had a guy get hurt on one of our jobs. He was actually had a, in a lawsuit with him. And, and I was just really stressed out. Uh, married for two years, have a, have a new baby. And uh, really stressed out. So that's when the hit me. It's like, you know, I just want to go back to a simple business. I want to go back into like wholesaling and wholesaling properties. And that's when our company, which I named it Simple Wholesaling, was basically, I just want a simple business and that's what I want to do. And that's when dad kind of stepped out and I started to build this team. So kind of fast forward the last five, five, six years, uh, our team today, actually, we're not a big team. And uh, I don't really want, desire to have a big team. We've had bigger teams than we do now. We've kind of scaled back a little bit. But right now we got six local people okay. here and we only do one market in Indianapolis. We used to do three, Ohio, like I mentioned. We yep. do one market in Indianapolis, Indiana. So we have six local people and that doesn't include me. And then we have six virtual assistants that all work out of the Philippines. Okay. So that was uh, something that I transitioned to three years ago, hired two or three virtual assistants. And we've gone more that direction and lessened our local team. So now we got six and six. And uh, and what's that team consist of? So Brian, he is our CEO, runs pretty much everything. We got basically two and a half uh, acquisitions managers. We have a dispositions manager. And then, um, and then Brian basically um, has an executive assistant locally. And then our virtual assistants, they, are, they do all of our transaction coordinating, all of our administrative tasks, all of, uh, you know, my, I have an executive assistant that's a virtual assistant named Roxanne. She, she pays all of my bills, all of our bills, wires all of our money. So that's- No kidding. That's You've got a VA from the Philippines that's wiring yeah. money and doing bills for you. She does. Wow. And she's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> did you use a service to find your VAs or did you go out and hire them yourself? I've done, uh, I've have a service. My first three were all through a service with a local guy named Ryan Johnson. Okay. And uh, you can actually check out his, uh, just, I think it's ryansjohnson.com. He, but he had partnered with a Philippine virtual assistant company mm-hmm. and they do all real estate. Actually, it's all real estate investors, ryansjohnson.com. And uh, they start out about $8, $8 an hour uh, for them. 
And then I've done also found some through there's virtual assistant headhunters too. Yeah. And also when you get virtual assistants, they have friends that they know that would fit good. So we've gotten yeah. referrals from our from our current virtual assistants as well. That's awesome. Dude, that's so cool. I love that. I I've actually that's that's one area we don't overlap that much. I've tried VAs and I've I've not had a good experience. And I think it's mostly my fault because mm-hmm. I know that there are certain uh, you know, the way you set it up, the way you kind of give them their their I, I didn't give them a lot of direction to to say the least. And that was yeah. probably my fault. I'm not I'm not great at that all the time. And I I kind of that's why I think sometimes with VAs, especially VAs from the Philippines, sometimes it's like if you tell them what you need to do and give them like instructions and, and a process to follow, they're they're deadly good. Yeah. Right? right. If you just exactly. go just sort of figure this out, right? It, it gets a little bit more dicey. Yeah. And, and so well, that, that. that was the mistake I made. Um, and you got to go slow. Yeah. Roxanne, who's my executive assistant, she didn't start out wiring money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she yeah. started out scrubbing spreadsheets, right? Yeah. Um, so you got to go slow with them. And you're exactly right. My experience has been, we've had bad experiences too. Uh, they're really good if you give them instructions to follow and they're really good at administrative tasks. We've tried some phone calls, talking on the phone, and that has not worked out as well. Yeah. Okay. What What would you say what uh, part of your business percentage-wise is wholetailing versus wholesaling? So we've kind of switched up our our model actually. So we're in Indianapolis, which is again, it's a cheaper market uh, rather than some of the other markets. Our typical buy price is anywhere from thirty to seventy thousand dollars. We do buy one hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars properties. They are in there, but like seventy five percent of our properties are between that thirty and like seventy five thousand dollars range. Yeah. So we have developed a model where we have, we do mostly wholesale. We do assign some properties if we can, but most of the time we do take them down. We do clean them out. We do list them on the MLS or, or sell them to our buyers list. I'd say 80% of the time we, we do wholesale. And then 20% we assign. Now, has that been always the case? Uh, No, it's been a growth thing and Mm -hmm. it's been a learning thing and it's adjusting. I think that's what great teams do. They adjust to to what's going on. And uh, that's been a model that worked for us. Will it always work for us? I don't know. We might go back to wholesaling mostly. It's a good point though, man. I I think it's it's not a matter of like what works as a definitive rule. It's like what works right now, what works for your team. And then as things change and as the market changes, you have to change your approach. Your co- I'm sure your yeah. company looks totally different today than it did 10 years ago. And it's probably going to look different five years from now than it looks today. Uh, but it's all about and a guy. A guy asked me today, we had a company from Atlanta come in and they're doing really good and they're strictly wholesale. They don't wholesale anything. They don't take anything down. And uh, and then we were telling them our model and they said, should we wholesale? And I'm like, if I didn't have to like wholesale, if I didn't think we were going to make more money on the deals, then I would wholesale every property that I had, you know? So like, I wouldn't. So no, I don't think you should. Yeah. <laughs> and I just had a curiosity since 80% of your, of your company right now is wholesaling. Again, going back to this market prediction that we're doing, if the prices start dropping, do you anticipate that you'll do less of that? Because there is some risk, right? For people who don't know, by the way, wholesaling is you get a property under contract and then you assign that contract. You never take possession of the property. Wholesaling is you actually buy the property. You own it and you have to you have the money to buy that property. And then you just basically clean it up, list it on the MLS for a markup price, and then you sell it. And it's pretty fast. It's it's not mm-hmm. you're not flipping, you're not doing a lot of work to it, you're just cleaning it out typically. But you do have to c- 
fund the deal, obviously, for right. a length of time. So there's a risk. Yep, a little risk. Do you anticipate that changing? Are you talking to your team about, hey, watch this, guys, because when prices start dropping, we got to be careful? Like, is that a conversation? Yeah, definitely. Um, yes, for sure. I mean, we're always thinking about how we can adjust if the market starts to starts to shift. I mean, we were thinking about that back in March uh, mm -hmm. 2020, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And everybody was saying, hey, there's going to be no buyers out there. And we thought, oh, this 2008, 2009 is going to happen again, where you can get great deals but you can't find anybody to buy them. Yeah. And we thought that was going to happen. Well, did that happen? No, it, it actually went the opposite. Now we can't find any deals <laughs> and everybody's buying them. Yeah, <laughs> it's insane how hot the market is right now <laughs> everywhere, man. And to your point, like the guy that you said, you know, sell your property now versus next year. Like my personal property, my wife and I were planning on selling in 2021, but we sold back in June because mm. I was like, I know my equity is, is going to be going away yeah. a little bit. So yeah. Um, so yes, I think we we're always talking about that. Are we going to adjust if the market, uh, if um, you know, if it starts to the prices start to go down, and we don't want to be holding a lot of properties now? Are we flipping these high end rehabs? I mean, that's that's a lot more riskier than what sure. we're doing. But obviously, there is still risk. Yeah. To what yep. Understood. Called. Now we talked a little bit about creative finance. I know that's part of your what you guys do. Talk to me about the creative finance part. Um, just out of curiosity, how long you've been doing it? It's not really that important to know, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just curious personally, how long you've been doing that and what that looks like in your business, how you approach uh, seller or creative finance, I should say. Yeah. So we do, again, this really helps with the wholesale model is we can sell a property and we can finance the buyer. So we're actually the bank, which I really like that model um, because they can put a large down payment down and in the wholesaling and the wholesaling it's a transactional business. You don't have a lot of residual income. So people in the real estate say, hey man, where's where's your cash flow? Where's the residual income? And this is it for, for me, right? Okay. Uh, so so how this started was about 40 years ago, we had some properties that we had that we couldn't sell. And we started to get creative. Okay, how can we sell these properties? Well, let's put it out there that we'll, we'll finance them. Well, we had some buyers come to the table and, and uh, we actually asked 50% down. <laughs> I mean, you know, do you have 50% down payment? You will finance. So it's like almost like a no brainer, right? Yeah, for us. Yeah, yeah. And we had people say, yeah, I got, I'll, I don't have all the money, but I have 50% and I'll finance it. So we started to do that. Well, we don't have, have to have 50% down now, but we still get 30%. And, uh, and we just started putting out there. So most of our properties we put out there, hey, we do offer seller financing. And most of the time people don't uh, come to the door with that, but 20% of the time it does. So out of, the, out of all the properties that we do buy and sell, 80% we buy and sell cash, you know, cash mm -hmm. in, cash out. Yep. But then 20% of the time we finance it. So what does that turn into over the last three or four years? Uh, at the beginning of this year, we had a hundred notes that we owned, that, that we created, that people were, you know, I was having 40, 50 grand every month coming in. Um, in payments. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, wow. And I didn't, I didn't, that was something I did three years ago. Yeah. So that was really, really cool. And uh, we ended up selling off some of those. Now we got about 70. So you can sell off some if you need to liquidate some of your cash. So, yep. so I like it because, um, you know, it, helps the buyers out. It helps residual income for me. I like it better than rentals because you don't have the maintenance involved. Yeah. A lot of the times I never talk to the buyers again. We do the deal and I never... that, And then they make their payments through a third-party company mm -hmm. and then they handle everything. And then I don't... 
I don't okay. have to ever talk to him again. So, so anyways, talk, talk to me about let's, let's um I, I want to make sure people understand what you're doing exactly. Let's can we deconstruct a little bit on the on the purchase side for you when you're purchasing? Are you mm-hmm. buying these like subject to or are you buying them and then financing them? Uh, we've done both. So a lot of the times, again, our price points are lower. So we do buy them and I buy them either with my own money or with a private lender money. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then we finance them, you know, they, and our financing looks like they put, so let's just say again, our prices, let's say it's a $60,000 property yeah. and they buy it, uh, 30% down. So they're putting down $20,000. So we, then now they owe 40. Mm-hmm. And we might charge 10 to 12% interest here in Indiana. You can do that. Um, and uh, so that's pretty much pretty much our model. And our okay. pay, their payments are five or $600 a month. And so, you know, and the, the, the cool thing is, let's say we only bought the property for $40,000. So if you do the math, if we bought it for $40,000 and they're putting $20,000 down, we do still have money in it, but we only have $20,000 in it now yeah. on a $40,000 note. So anyways, that's a little bit of the logistics. Yeah. Now we do do subject to uh, sometimes or on the front end, we've done we've done that where we hold a subject to, so we're paying the mortgage and then we finance that, but we hold, we still hold the mortgage and control of that. Yeah. So Okay, so let me, I, I think people are pro- probably going to wonder this. You, you're not, it's better than a rental because you don't have the maintenance. However, uh, there's the possibility of evictions, right? Some not evictions, um, foreclosures. Foreclosures, right? you, yeah. You might foreclose on somebody if they don't make the payments. How big of a problem is that for you? Or for or not? us, it for us it hasn't been a big problem. Um, I've had to foreclose on two properties since I've done it. We've done a hundred. Than twenty of these, right. uh, again, um, you know, we do pre-qualify the buyers, and again, they're putting down thirty percent. So, yeah. sixty thousand dollars property, they're putting down twenty thousand dollars. Eighty thousand dollars property, they're putting down you know more than that. So they got a they got a big chunk yeah. in this thing. And if they're putting and, down twenty grand, by the way, in a sixty thousand dollars house, yeah, they have serious credit problems, or they would just put twenty thousand dollars down on a, <laughs> on a house through the bank, right? Right, so, right. So it just goes to say, I, I assume it's like stands to reason that they have credit issues, right? So when you do background checks on someone like this, what are you checking for if their credit's wrecked? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do check credit, but I will say a lot of the credit is not wrecked. Honestly, okay. a lot of them don't have credit. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, some people actually don't have credit. Most of our buyers are self-employed individuals. And you probably know this too, Mike. I mean, if you go in and try to get a mortgage on a bank, yeah. uh, th- what do they do? They ask you all these questions, right? And you're like, well, I'm, you know, I make a lot of money. Like, why are you asking me all these stupid questions? Yeah. But they do because we're self-employed individuals. Yeah. We own our own business. Well, that's the same thing. They, we, we contractors, drywallers, uh, people that own their own businesses. Yeah. Um, you know, people that, you know, just don't have, don't, the banks don't look at them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and again, you know, a lot of times our properties aren't even, they might be $50,000 or $40,000. Well, bank, they don't even want to lend on a property like that yeah, anyways. Totally. That, so you kind of put that, and again, that's not our main model and we do it when, when it makes sense yeah. for both sides. Yeah. So I like that. How much, if any, work do you put into the house before you employ this kind of a strategy on the back end when you're selling it? In other words, are you renovating the house or are you just selling it to them and and they're they're you know they can do what they want to it? 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's actually the beauty. We actually don't do anything. We do yeah. the exact same thing we do if we put it out for cash. So on our wholesale model, we buy the house and then we clean it out. We typically, if there's a lot of trash in it, we clean it out anyways. And then we try to sell it and we put in there, Hey, we will finance this with 30% down. And yep. most of the time people don't want to do that, but 20% of the time they do. Okay. I like so. it. I love it. Man. I, <laughs> I love it. They fix it up. It's and then they and then they're the ones that actually fix up the property. So they yeah. fix it up. So now like you have this asset. They bought it for 60. They fix it up. Now it's actually worth a hundred. Yeah. And they owe you 40. So you got so much equity into it. Yep. And and they got so much equity into it too. Sure. They're not gonna let a hundred, they just they'll just sell the property and pay you off. Yeah. Hundred percent. Right? If they get in trouble. Yeah. So I love it, man. I love it. And I, I like the fact you just sort of mentioned it briefly, but the fact that you have a third party collecting payments and all that that probably takes a lot of hassle off of your plate too, right? So I, I love does. that. So I, I know I was on your podcast. We talked about that a little bit. As this airs, you've done some rebranding. Why don't you talk about your podcast a little bit? What uh, what do you offer there? What, what kind of a podcast is it? What can people expect if they go and check it out? And then also your YouTube channel that I know you have. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so you can check out the Breast Snodgrass channel. It's on YouTube. So uh, just kind of go to YouTube, check out the Breast Snodgrass channel. And then also we have a video podcast called the Breast Snodgrass Podcast. And I basically interview uh, real estate investors like yourself, but also other entrepreneurs. And we talk a little bit more from the heart. Uh, I, I love to really just dig in about purpose, about, you know, what makes people come alive. Yeah. Uh, I love people that, you know, live in their, their best life. Right. And it doesn't, it, and it looks different in different ways yeah. actually. So my best life is really not driving the Ferrari, having three houses, a couple on the beach or one in the mountains, you know, that's just not my best life. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I think and, and if that is someone's, that's fine. But I love just kind of picking people's brains and really digging into their heart and what and going beyond the success. Yeah. So we're interviewing guys that uh, that have been successful, but we kind of go beyond that. And really, what does it mean? Because I see time and time again, you know, at all, at all these masterminds, we talk about the business and people are doing so, so well. But really, if you pull back the curtain, a lot of guys are really, really struggling yeah. uh, with certain things. Yeah. And uh, so I love to really just dig into the heart and and we're going to, it's going to be more of a vulnerable heart, heart show, but with very successful people. I love it. I love it. You're, and you're absolutely right. Some people think they see folks on on podcasts or whatever and they go, wow, that guy makes a lot of money. He must be super happy or things yeah. will be perfect for that person. That's all I need is, is to have this business that creates this wealth and I'll be everything will be great. But there are other things obviously in life that uh that uh it can be made worse, frankly, by having money, but but also it doesn't make everything go away. Obviously, you know, you know that obviously. For sure. Um, and I think there's different seasons of life. And I have a lot of people ask me yeah. these different things. And I have to kind of like think about what season they're in. And I've asked other mentors too. So my season right now is I am 40 years old, I have a wife and I have four kids, and my kids are pretty young, right? They're yep. range from two to thirteen, but three of them are actually two, five, and seven. So I have a 13-year-old going through 13-year-old things. I have a seven-year-old son that has some ADHD things going on. And so I'm in this season right now. And I've stepped up my business six months ago. And as a creator, as an entrepreneur, you're like, man, what should I do? I'm, I need to do something. I got to create something. And, and I do. And that's who I am. I do want to create things. And I love doing that. But like, 
I need to pace myself because I'm just yeah. in that season, right? Yeah. I'm like, you know what? When my kids are a little bit older, like then I can maybe travel with my wife and do whatever and speak and do all these things. Right now, like I need to pace myself. Yeah. I don't know. So I think, just think it's, sometimes we got to just like, I don't know, just kind of think about those things and, I love and reflect. It. Yeah, <laughs> I really, I really wanted to get a lot deeper into the fact that you you kind of stepped away and, and the business is running by itself. But suffice to say, you're doing you know h- hundreds of deals a year, um, and, and you do have someone who's kind of running that for you day to day. Do you do you plug in like once a week, once a month? Do you like have like team meetings or whatever that you're involved in? Yeah, that's a great question. So. Back March 2020, COVID hit and I didn't know what was going to happen. And and honestly, I like change. I like, uh, you know, different things and creating. And uh, after 13 years of doing this business, you know, doing another deal doesn't excite me anymore, yeah, right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's cool, but I haven't looked at a house in my last thousand deals. I haven't seen a house. Um, so... So I find myself going to my meetings and uh, Brian was our COO at the time and I'm kind of the visionary. And I found myself almost like being there, but like almost just an employee and ask myself, why am I, why am I here? Uh, honestly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so all these things started to hit me. So I asked Brian, I said, Brian, here's the things I'm feeling. I've lost some of the zest for this and I want to yeah. go do some other things. And do you want to take over? And he said, yes. So I put a proposal together. And so for the last six months, he's been running and I haven't been going to the meetings. Okay. Uh, and I haven't been, um, plugging in with the team as much now. So let me back up. I go to one team meeting a month. So I do go in. That's the first, the first meeting of the month I go in. And that's when we talk about the numbers from last month, where are we at? Mm-hmm. And, and, but, but again, I just kind of go and I listen and I do meet with Brian once a week and okay. he just kind of, you know, bounced off me. So I'm like, the board of advisors of one yeah. for our company. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. People talk a lot about the beginning stages, a lot about the grinding stages, you know, in the middle, you start hiring people. There's not a lot of people who talk about the stage that you're in where it's like, I have this fully matured business. It's running, there's systems, there's process. I have a good team. I have someone in place who can kind of take over the reins if I want to, to be able to walk away and do some of the things. That's a that's an intriguing, interesting time. And I think it's a time where people can make some big mistakes, right? Right? You can mm-hmm. walk away too early. You can walk away too fast. You can walk away without the right team in place. And a lot of that can just implode if that happens, obviously. Um, so I, I think it's super interesting and it's inspiring for people to hear. Like, Because one thing that frustrates me, and maybe you feel this way, maybe you don't, but you're a wholesaler, right? Like That's mm-hmm. kind of who you are. I know you do a lot of wholesaling, but People say, well, I want to be a real estate investor and I think I'll start off by wholesaling. And that's sort of like the stepping stone to becoming a flipper and a real investor, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I, I disagree. I'm where you are. Like flipping frustrates me. It, it becomes yeah. a little bit monotonous and I get stressed out. And it's not really the stress, it's more of the headache, like dealing with some folks that you don't have to deal with as a wholesaler. And mm-hmm. I think wholesaling can be absolutely passive in terms of you're not in there every day doing the work at this point. It took you time to build to that, but yeah. it, it is. It is by definition passive income for you right now, right? It is, and it yeah. And I, I and it and it is crazy because I I actually make more money now than I did when I was in the business. And I think a lot of it is the market. I mean, I don't want to like, um, you know, false promises or anything like that. But but it is it is really really cool. But you're exactly right. And I have a great team in place, good systems, and I have leaders. I think, and I see a lot of people 
make the mistake. And here's one thing I tell my team too, is that, you know how when you hire your very first employee and then you grow your business and then you say, oh, my business outgrew this person Mm -hmm. right over here. Like they were a good first employee because we didn't have anything in place, but now like they can't keep up, right? And honestly, I think that's what happened to me. Uh, I think our business outgrew me. And I don't want to say like I couldn't do it, but it was almost like my vision started to be very, very complacent where I was just like, you know what? We have a couple million dollar business. We're doing, you know, mid twos a year and, and I, and I'm making a lot of money and I'm just, I don't care if I grow or not. It doesn't matter to me. I'm, I'm happy. And, but the other team was like, we want to grow. And I was like, and I didn't, I wasn't the visionary anymore. Yeah, and I needed I needed them to take over. That's and funny. I think a lot of people are the bottlenecks on that. I think you're right. And, and back to your dad originally, his his advice to you: you're either getting better, or you're getting worse. Right? It's very difficult yeah. to stay the same, even as a company. So eventually, if you would have stayed in place, from what I'm hearing, it's it's conceivable your company would have started regressing rather than getting yeah. better. So for sure, very cool stuff, for man. Sure. Very cool but stuff. But anyways, I, I would just if anybody's in that place too, it's Here's another mistake that I made with that is I think that a lot of people think that the visionary or the CEO is the pinnacle is like, that's, that's the highest you can get. And, and I didn't even know that you could actually uh, get out of the business. I was sitting with my coach one day and Brian was having all these ideas and my coach looked at me and says, Brett, do you even want to be the visionary anymore? And I honestly didn't know that that was, a possibility. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, you mean I can, I can do that? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's like your business. You can sit in the owner's box if you want. And that's when it hit me. And I was like, wow. And I realized maybe other people don't know they can actually step out. And the CEO is just another position. It's just yeah. another role. So did, did you hire a new COO for the business? Like a new, um, you know, person who's actually running operations? So Brian is basically doing both right now. And, uh, but again, he, he's kind of that COO and CEO vision. He, he has visionary, but he also does a lot of the systems, stuff like that. Okay. So he, uh, he's talking about possibly bringing someone really to, you know, to really fine tune our systems yeah. and our processes and all that. Gotcha. But no, we don't have that right now. But I think it's something that, again, he's, will grow into. Are you just out of curiosity? Are you using or do you follow the traction model for for running your business? We do. Okay. Yeah, I, I know she's using some of that terminology. I do too. So you're using some of it. It sounded yeah. familiar. So we yeah. use the EOS. Yeah. We have an entrepreneurial operating systems coach yep. named Gary Harper. Actually, that's our coach. Yep. Okay. But I've had other, other coaches as well. Yeah. But I would hi- highly recommend. I don't care if you're a one person team or a fifty person team highly recommend uh, that. It's just yeah. really how to run a business. Yep. I totally agree. We use traction as well, man. Well, listen, I, I promised to kind of get you out of here at a certain time. I, I've gone over by a minute. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I really appreciate you doing this. You're a super interesting guy with a great business, great attitude. We didn't touch on um, you know, the fact that, that faith is a big thing to you. And I, I know that that's a part of, of everything you do and everything you stand for. And it, it only makes me love you more that, to know that you're a great guy on top of everything else. Like, you know, you're not, uh, it's not all about, you know, just money, money, money. You're, you've got a lot more to you than that. So I, I love that about you. 
Uh, I would love to have you on at another time, maybe down the road uh, sometime in 2020 to talk a little bit. I'd love to touch base with you about stepping away and how that looks you know, six, eight months from now, like, yeah, what's happening? How, how did that work out for you? Hopefully, hopefully it works out great. Um, but, yeah. I, but I would love to hear that follow up because I think it's important for people to know that it can happen and it can be done right. And then at that and here's point, also to that, I would love to be on the show and thanks so much for having me on Mike, but I, I don't want to give people the false impression that I don't have a pulse on the business. I mean, I know how much money we're making. Yeah. I know what's going on. I, on the finance, on the bank accounts, I still, um, know what's happening. So yeah. I, I, I definitely want to put that out no, there. No, that's a good sure. clarification. I, I understood that, but you're right. People listening, yeah. we, I don't know if that was coming across, but yeah, you're you're in touch yeah. with your CEO once a week. You're in the meetings mm-hmm. once a month. You know what's happening. You're just not pulling the levers every single day, right? And that's right. kind of like what makes it more of a passive kind of a thing for you. And it doesn't happen overnight. You, you could not have done that in 2009, obviously. You weren't right. in a place where you could do that. No. Uh, it takes a lot of time to get to that point and you have to be responsible about it. So thanks for making that clarification. But man, and thanks for doing this too. I appreciate it. Uh, if I don't talk to you beforehand, have a great holiday season. Have a good Christmas. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And uh, just enjoy uh, enjoy what you have going on because you got some good stuff happening. For sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Mike. Really appreciate everything that you're doing too. And uh, God bless you, man. Yeah. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. All right. That was a good one. I could have really spoken to uh, Brett for a lot longer. We could have done a two-hour show with no problem. So I definitely want to have him back, like I said uh, in the end of the show there, because he. I want to, I want to hear about the next stages of his career where he kind of steps away and and uh, has a CEO running the company and he's going on to do some other stuff. Like I want to hear that evolution. And I think some of my listeners do too. So, um, But I, I really enjoy talking to people who are really good at what they do, number one, Really good people. You guys know that. I, I enjoy talking to people that I think just have you know their hearts in the right place and they have they have good intentions. And uh, someone who's doing that high of volume and is able to build a team that's that's running it smoothly. There's a lot of lessons that could be learned, and I think we can dive into a little bit more into the hiring. How did he find good people? How does he train them? How does he retain them? How does he motivate them? All of that high level stuff. I'd like to get into, but talking about how he got started, how he runs his business now, kind of the the percentage, like how much is he wholetailing versus wholesaling and some of the creative finance stuff, absolute gold. Guys, this is all relevant now. And I think a lot of this stuff is going to be even more relevant in the coming months. So uh, this was a very timely and I think powerful, powerful uh, discussion. And I'm glad I was able to bring it to you. Uh, but guys, listen, it's time. We're, we're getting close to the end of 2020. Uh, by the time you hear this, the elections are over. So that's not a concern anymore. Like just get out there and get started, get moving. You know, Brett, it's a 13 year process that he's gone through. He didn't do this overnight. And we touched on that at the end. You're not going to do it overnight, but it's never going to happen if you don't get started. Get out there and get going now. Make today the day that you change your life for the better forever. All right. We'll talk to you next time. okay, you're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, 
Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over 100 a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12-month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital download and you can get that by texting the words, just start, as two words now, just start to the number 5544. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back. And that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.